Hey guys, it's Alilda. I'm here with Katie and Kashima, and we're going to talk with Sabrina just to explore the relationship dynamics between planners and community members. So thank you for joining us. Okay, so I guess we can get started. So first, we just want to know how you ended up as an urban planner, organizer, and community healer. Um, well, I started in planning, um, my mom wanted me to go to grad school, um, like right after undergrad, um, back in 20, this was 2011, 2012. Um, and so, uh, I basically kind of figured out or did some research on, um, my interests was around public housing because that's where I was living in, um, in Salem, Mass. But I didn't really understand what it meant, or I, I didn't, I hadn't heard of the term before. Upon doing just a basic Google search, and then I came across a program, um, or I came across urban planning programs, and um, just basically went into. Uh, one in New York, so I figured that would be the best place to learn about planning. Um, so it was just really by uh, happen chance, in a way. Um, I wasn't introduced to it, you know, in undergrad or anything. Um, so it was kind of new for me. Okay, seems like it was very organic for you. Mm -hmm. And I do agree, I'm from Jersey, and I feel like there's definitely no experience with planning over there. So yep. New York is the place to be. <laughs> so that being said, how would you define planning as it currently relates to the Black community versus how it should relate? Um, planning is very like white dominant, um, technocratic in the sense that it's kind of purposefully using um, inaccessible language, like a very specific technical language um, that's not really accessible for, um, you know, community members, especially if uh, English isn't their first language. Um, and it's very top down, um, you know, the typical like city planning department, um, that's majority white, making these kind of major land use decisions, um, such as uh, where rezoning should go, um, which neighborhood, neighborhoods, um, and making these decisions in silo, like the community engagement is very, um, what's the word, performative. Um, it's kind of just doing these workshops, these um, charrettes, design charrettes, um, based on decisions that are already made ahead of time, essentially, um, and have already been decided on. Um, and then just basically asking for input um, on options that are already decided on as well.
So it's just very disconnected. So would you say that that's maybe one of, um, I don't want to say biggest mistakes, but maybe one of the biggest mistakes that planners make, and it's like very adverse to the Black community, or would you say that there's a different mistake in the planning process? Yeah, that's, I, I would say it is one of the biggest mistakes because it's just so crucial. I mean, how can we plan without engaging or planning with um, you know, Black communities, if we're not, you know, if we're not working with them in the beginning of even just the, you know, conceptualization um, stage. Um, <clears throat> but I think just the, the inherent The inherent nature of planning itself is just problematic, period, um, because it's just, because it's just meant to be top down, um, because a lot of our partners and our interests, even though, you know, like I went to school for like, for like community planning at Pratt, um, even though that's taught in practice, it's like community planning is like its own separate thing. Um, and then you have the like real planning of like the top down, like working with government interests, um, which is usually aligned with the real estate interests. Um, so I think just the how it's conceptualized and uh, realized like in practice, I think the, the field just needs like a structural change to like understand like who's really our interests, um, like who are we serving? And in that, and so like that takes some unlayering of like, the way government functions, um, since a lot of planning is like coming from government and like unpacking the white supremacy and bureaucracy within government um, to get to a space where there's real uh, community democracy and uh, power in Black communities. Sabrina, um, can I ask you a question? Sorry, Willie, can I ask you a oh, question? No. Go, go, go. Yeah. Hi, Sabrina. Um, hey. <laughs> you actually touched on something that we speak a lot about in class when we talk about uh, the intersectionality between um, real estate market forces and economy and planning and the intersectionality between those forces and government. In your opinion, do you think that, you know, they actually, you know, work together to, to be adverse to, to people of color? Do you think that the government, it's, it's their inaction or actually their enforcement of these policies? Like, what is your thought on that? Did yeah, you yeah. On? thank you. Um, 
I, th it, I think it's, they go together in the sense that, um, sorry, I just lost my train of thought. Um, it's, it's like government, it's, it's like the private, the public-private relationship um, and the like public-private overall like political tensions of working with um, the private sector or real estate um, to, to kind of create conditions um, for gentrification because ultimately that's what's good for both real estate, private market and government because government gets the tax um, no, the, the tax revenue, um, government gets, you know, more, you know, high income white, um, folks who are gonna, you know, have increased property values and that in, uh, increases, you know, revenue. So it's just kind of like a self maybe it's like self-imposed or like intentionally created um, cycle, at least I think of working hand in hand for the interests of capital. Um, and if I may, I, I have a question as well. Um, so we kind of, we looked at your LinkedIn and your um, website and super awesome, has a lot of great stuff on there. Um, and we saw that you are working currently at the Department of Housing. Mm -hmm. And so as an employee of a government organization, how do you deal with that, um, I guess, tension of kind of your opinion that government agencies and policies and things like that are very harmful to community members. But at the same time, I guess I'm asking, how do you work in your job to um, see through like your goals and your interests? Um, that really touched a nerve because, um, you know, to be honest, it's been really hard. Um, I can imagine. It's traumatizing, um, especially to be in meetings and hearing people who are making these decisions um, just say, you know, racist things with such disregard for New Yorkers of color that they serve, supposedly. Um, it's the, the best that I can do is just to continue to, like, be firm in, like, racial equity and always centering, like, the marginalized uh, communities um, centering racial equity, which means I'm, you know, not pushing forward 
market-based or capitalist um, positions, which means I'm basically always fighting and, and butting heads with um, the people with the institution and also with people who just subscribe to like neoliberal logic. Um, and, but I also have, you know, other colleagues who look like me um, that I like, we, you know, have like a text chain where we're texting about if something happened or just like sharing other like just workplace kind of culture, um, microaggression articles, just like that is what has been keeping me sane. Um, but yeah, otherwise it's just been really like traumatizing to be honest. And actually to piggyback off of Katie's question and thank you for being so candid because I can only imagine um, how that must feel. Um, a, a catchphrase that we often hear is um, being black is not monolithic, right? Mm -hmm. And we all come from different experiences and we all come different from different traumas. And in your experience, do you kind of feel like in the planning realm, because blackness is not monolithic and because uh, people of color may not have experienced adversity um, at the same level that it kind of combats um, accomplishing equity for people of color in general? Yeah, um, one example is, I mean, like even like, so our commissioner, like, you know, she's black, but she's, you know, thinks very conservatively and um, is subscribe, like subscribes to uh, black entrepreneurship, black capitalism. I mean, I guess this is also just to like pull out, excuse me, to, to, to make bigger um, uh, thinking about um, like collectivism versus like capitalism. And I'm, the strategies that I try to uh, push for are like more in the collectivism realm, um, but but anyway, yeah, she, um, there's, so yeah, there's tensions because the, essentially she, you know, is thinking of putting more resources into just down payment assistance programs um, just to get more um, black households into, you know, traditional home ownership. But, you know, obviously we know the history of home ownership being um, broken for black households, regardless if they get, um, it, you know, the home ownership assistance, you're still susceptible to the market, you know, susceptible to market forces and could still foreclose, et cetera. Um, so rather than just putting more of the resources into community land trusts or cooperatives, which obviously um, is in tension with, like you may hear, oh, what we're trying to do wealth, um, you know, wealth building versus uh, long-term affordability. 
um, which to me is like, are we trying to, you know, bring up one or two or, you know, a few hundred individual Black homeowners? Or are we trying to bring up, you know, all Black homeowners by kind of capping um, resale value for the next person, but it will um, make that housing affordable for for perpetuity. So does that answer your question? No, no, it, it actually it actually does because it, it speaks to like um, you know the the com the competing forces and it it just kind of affirms that um it you know in like the whole planning realm like it's so polarized and it really doesn't need to be. <laughs> yep. Yep. And it, it just makes it seem like it's by design. And I don't know um, if that kind of goes with the whole, like the settler, I believe we read your, the settler colonial and Afro-pessimist ideology. Does that run tandem to that? And if so, could you like um, expound on that a little bit? Yeah, that is how I have been viewing my work is just like, or how I approach housing policy, at least, since that's um, where I have been in, um, is just through the lens of government working with the private market, with real, especially real estate, um, kind of reinforcing the existing um, like colonialist relationship um, that Black people especially have with like the white, like affluent class where government is kind of creating conditions to kind of like ethnically cleanse or displace um, non-white people, black people, um, and create spaces of, or neighborhoods of, you know, what they'll call revitalization or, you know, urban renewal, um, but it's just to kind of maintain the system of uh, white supremacist capitalism. And all of that is just in itself, anti-Black, and that's where the Afro-pessimist uh, framework comes in of, you know, everything is in, or at least how I view it is, everything is inherently anti-Black. Um, and, you know, just like having the awareness and uh, I guess using the lens of racial equity to continue to, to create systems to counter that. But, for me, it kind of starts with that settler colonial framework um, of also maintaining a system of uh, uh, the caste system, the essential caste yeah. system. Right, right. Yeah. And just kind of also maintaining like a labor force for the affluent class um in the service jobs 
um, you know, and uh, sanitation, et cetera, to maintain the streets and, and then backed by the police. So kind of going off of that, what are planners doing to actually involve black and brown people in the planning processes to prevent displacement and ensure that they can reclaim their land and thrive? Well, one thing that just recently um, happened uh, is that there are some folks, the Racial Impact Analysis Coalition, Racial, Im Racial Impact Statement Coalition, which is like a bunch of, I forget exactly, uh, I think it's like Inwood, uh like legal and then um rpa or something like some other groups um but they've been pushing for racial impact study um as well as like comprehensive planning i think those two are just like really big areas um of change to really get um developers and the city to um show uh one, if displacement is happening um, and where, where it's likely to happen um, and just get a better sense of potential uh, impacts by, um, by race um, and just overall um, make the land use process more transparent. That's a, that's a first step. Um, other ways is just um, by helping with like like doing community planning, um, which feels like it is like separate, um, but it's like oftentimes it's planners um, on their own time volunteering um, to help push back or like develop um, plans with um, black and brown communities who have been doing these community plans in a sense, like for decades on their own, um, you know, helping with the technical research or, or writing, uh, but actually just like delivering um, a, a counter plan. That's like kind of the community plan that actually took into account um, community needs um, that can be presented um, in response to the cities uh, or the official plan but that is that you know at least a document recorded that this is like the community plan um other ways is i guess dependent on like the field but at least say in housing um plugging into just like local organizing efforts um Social housing is like a big uh, like topic, I guess. And within that, there's like the CLT movement. So um, there's uh, Nicely, the New York City CLT um, group and others um, who are pushing for more community land trusts, um, cooperatives, so just like plugging into different um, 
areas of struggle um, that are existing in the community as well. Um, well, I think the that last thing with the racial impact statement, I think that will really help to with some guardrails. Um, and that's something that um, I've been working on as well, just, um, and then the, the advocates. Um, but I think like a lot of the change is really coming from the out, like outside of planning, because we do have like our code of ethics, which does call out, you know, to center marginalized voices, but that's not necessarily being done with by, you know, individual planners. Um, so I think it's, I'm just like so pessimistic because I'm like, <laughs> It's hard for me to think of a really good scenario because the field is just so white dominant. Um, but there are, you know, just like continuing to ensure that planning is centering racial equity um, is really just like the first step. Well, this, the mic, this might kind of be related and you might have like answered this already, um, but how would you say that the planners being so like white dominated are educating themselves on liberatory policies and trauma conscious planning practices? Even, you know, you mentioned even within the field. So are they, are they doing anything to mitigate that as well? I think, I mean, a lot, the thing is, it's just really, it goes back to just being performative because again, like uh, the planning consulting firms are majority white. And so what they'll do is really performative. You know, the typical diversity, uh, equity and inclusion um, trainings for like planning staff. Um, I think ultimately, cause this is just like a lot, a main um, way of thinking, especially in government is just that you know, we're reactionary and, you know, we'll respond to whatever is being advocated by the community. And so it just feels like our, like, mm. groups, like the planning network, um, who do think like, who do have liberatory planning politics, um, but it's just too few. And so, um, I know that one example, uh, one example I forgot was um, reaching young people and um, starting to introduce planning um, to um, young people at a earlier um, because it, it's, it's just too exclusive and too, um, it comes too late um, just to incorporate you know, a diverse, an actual diversity of thought, um, just so it's not so like white neoliberal dominated. Sabrina, I feel like you answer all of our questions before we can, <laughs> we can actually ask you because like you're, like you're going <laughs> soon. But like, um, I was actually about to ask you a question about, um, 
reaching out to, to young people and how that actually is working. Um, I, I feel like as, again, we, when you were talking about proactive versus reactive, mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, like the uh, easy solution or common sense solution is that if you need a more diverse um, base of planners that you would go into the lower economic communities and the schools and, and have planners visit and talk to them and cultivate their minds, I, the, the minds of, of a younger folks. I know that Urban um, ULI has a program, Urban Plan, um, but do you know of any other uh, programs that are more like proactive and like reaching out to the community to, to get um, kids, especially uh, those of color interested in planning? Um, I forget the name of the program, but Daphne um, Lundy, um, I don't know if she's still part a part of it, but Hindsight um, has like Hindsight Conference, um, which is actually a, a unplanning conference um, uh, for uh, people of color, especially um, to kind of go against the typical um, American Planning Association diversity conferences. Um, but anyway, um, within that, uh, we have like a like a youth, urban youth program, urban planning youth program. Um, but yeah, if you have, if you don't have Daphne's number, um, I can share it, but you'd probably do. Um, but yeah, she would know. Awesome. Thank you. I will definitely ask her about that program because that seems like it would go along really well with a lot of the themes that we're talking about in our class. Um, another question, or I guess point I wanted to touch on was like the education piece. Um, and your website is full of so much information and resources. And it's basically like a full library. Um, who is this targeted for? And how do you envision people using these resources? Um, Thank you. Um, It's targeted for planners, especially planners to be or people interested in urban planning or um, cities or urbanism. Um, And well, I made it because I just needed an an alternative library, like especially coming out of grad school and just like remembering all of the materials um, or just or the, the the people that they cited, Jane Jacobs and um, just kind of the same. And also was reading um, books like uh, uh, around with, about like the Black Panthers and um, Black Power and kind of thinking how to better incorporate that critical race um, lens um, into planning because I just felt that was lacking. And so then I just, I, you know, wanted to uh, put together all of the resources that I had come across um, into just like one space. And it was originally like a Google doc. And then I thought I wanted to make it um, even more like accessible, well, for people with internet, I guess. Um, but uh, so yeah, and turned it into a website. Um, but yeah, it was for, hopefully it's, you know, for especially 
white planners who are planners to be um, who haven't really come across this type of uh, language, um, but also just for everyone. That's awesome. And I feel like something that we actually read for class today um, was the Undercommons by um, oh, wow. Carney yeah. and, and Moten. Um, we only had to read chapter five, but, and it was, it was very dense, but I, I feel like yeah. <laughs> it, it went along with this whole theme that our class is about and that you're talking about. And I feel like it's so important to like spread these resources around because I'd never even heard of this book, but it just is, is such an interesting and important take on on planning and something that as like an urban policy um, professional who's studying these things, I feel like it's important to, and we all should be learning about this, um, so. Cassie, do you wanna ask something? Sure, so. <laughs> you took off your, your mic here. Um, oh, you can see that from there? Yeah, so um, again, you uh, were speaking about essentially, I don't, I don't like the, the tokenization essentially um, uh, certain initiatives, right? Like, like they have the DNI initiatives, you know, the government does what they need to do to appease um, certain stakeholders, but there's mm -hmm. really no real change. Um, mm -hmm. So let's say that in a, a perfect world, um, we're able to essentially just humanize people of color, right? And then we, um, planning strategies are embarked upon to, to make it equal, or at least for, for people of color. How do you think that that can be kept sustainable? And how do you also think that um, those strategies can somehow not um, impinge or impede on the rights of others? I mean, having the having like statements of uh your i guess intent of on diversity equity inclusion on um like those things are great as long as like that is the overall like driving force like from like leadership up um, leadership, I guess, within, if it's like a planning consulting firm within um, government, uh, just whoever's kind of doing the decision-making and the, the planning. Um, because unless it's, if it's not, if the whole um, team that doesn't believe in those core values, then that's where we're fighting about, you know, this piece and 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 you know this group of people or or this decision, um, this strategy because it's kind of everyone bringing in their own values, their own politics um, individually into the the situation, uh, into the project, um, and it's not being driven by just a baseline um, kind of goal 
if you want to call it like community agreements, um, that would just kind of, in, you know, incorporate, you know, racial equity, uh, climate justice, sustainability, resiliency, um, uh, workforce or you know, job development um, and training um, for an ownership, uh, wealth building. And I think laying out your, your like your outcomes and like your goals um, and your values like upfront um, is just, is yeah, is really the most important um, and most, it just kind of will show like your principles um, and this kind of drive how the, the planning project will go um, and whether it will or will not benefit um, or displace um, black and brown communities. But it really has to start from a place of um, like a collective shared desire for for racial equity and putting that down on paper and that being the driving force. So it's not um, shifted from like administration to administration or um, at the whims of some commissioner who was like, I only want to do whatever black capitalism and you know or something like that. Based on that assertion, is there any uh, planning model? that you think was done correctly that, you know, epitomizes all of those things or even one that you are a part of? Yeah, so at least just in government, cause that's all I can speak to. Um, we are doing a shared equity initiative where we're actually talking about social housing and well, not just, so this is the first, at least for me, um, time where, it's cross like teams where it's policy, it's um, I'm in neighborhood strategies, which is like more community engagement. We're having, you know, if you like the EDC, but just like other like economic development, um, you know, talking about um, uh, and, and, you know, sustainability um, and, and environmental justice and, this to me just makes it, it has been the one so far it's been one of the best uh, experiences um, and one of my favorite um, like projects and initiatives to work on um, because it involves so many different uh, people and, and soon we'll move to a phase of um, potentially like participatory community, um, research where it's actually having um, community members, um, depending on you know the look uh, where, but um, involved in you know the conception of whatever the shared equity project would be. Um, but it's just it's also just been really non-hierarchical, um, not as bureaucratic. And that I think is just at least a really good starting place where it should it it should be like 
intersectional where you're, you know, talking about climate uh, justice, you're talking about um, housing justice, <laughs> talking about um, transportation justice, like all kind of in one, having everyone at the table um, and cutting out the hierarchy. Um, so yeah, that's been really, really exciting. That's awesome. And I feel like a question that I have, and I don't honestly know if there's an answer for it. Do you think that if all of these things are implemented, things like community participation and a non-hierarchical approach, um, do you think that the system can be fixed or do you think it needs to be torn down completely? Um, well, I think tearing down the system, um, like I think it doesn't have to be um, like mutually exclusive. So I think the system can be torn down and what that may look like is like starting to have um, more of these spaces um, in uh, like, I wanna say like where the work is being done, uh, whatever it's like the planning consulting firm or uh, um, the, in government, um, but having these like cross team, cross divisional um, spaces that are talking about intersectional planning, um, having, and this, so this, this will take more time and resources, um, but like having, like, like actually thinking about what it would look like to have participatory um, action um, planning where you're inviting the community from the start, like at the, you know, design phase or the, the brainstorm phase, excuse me. Um, of you know how this, for example, this like vacant lot should be um, envisioned, and so like that would take, in my opinion, like tearing down of the current like bureaucratic system of this notion that we're you know there's at least again in government that everything is up a chain like the decisions have to be made um you know up this chain and that the people actually doing the work um don't have that much of a say and who are like actually working with um communities on the ground so so yeah, i think it's like a both and sabrina i don't i know we've taken so much of your time but like uh well my final question is piggybacking off you said about citizen participation um Recently, we've been seeing that it's um, being incorporated statutorily, like with the whole environmental justice initiative, even though they've been talking about this since like, you know, the, the Clinton era. But um, sometimes people argue that, you know, citizen participation um, is kind of performative as well because it depends on the expertise of the citizens of your community where they may not know how to vindicate their positions. So taking that into consideration, what are some suggestions for um, you know, making that model more steadfast, right? So you're, you're kind of giving mm -hmm. them 
we, we all kind of say like, oh, we give them resources, but like what type of resources would you give them so they would be able to vindicate, you know, themselves? Yeah, like for example, um, in the draft, whatever comprehensive plan, um, it was saying how they wanted to provide more resources for like, community boards, um, but where it could have gone further and, and where, like what the resources could look like um, and what that like model could look like is, um, I suppose having, whether it is at depart like Department of City Planning or if it's like a, an urban planning collective um, who can, you know, be that, um, a technical assistance provider um, to community boards who need that extra expertise. But again, like that, I don't know if it would be like a designated group or like, yeah, like a collective, they would ha have to be like steadfast on racial equity and, you know, climate justice and, and, and be rooted and, and driven by that. So that way they're not, you know, leading groups astray um, and are helping to advocate um, for, for those things. Thank you so much for that. Cause no one ever explains <laughs> what they mean by resources. They just, you know, throw the term. Right. <laughs> <laughs> resources. We just need more resources, need more, more time resources. and resources. <laughs> yep. Yep. Ladies, do you guys have any more questions? I think you answered everything, Sabrina, on my end. Yeah, me too. Uh, thank you so, so much for all of your time and thoughts and um, it's given us a lot to yes. think about and <laughs> write about. Um, so this was super helpful and I'm sure uh, Daphne will be happy to know that we spoke with you. Great. Thank you so much. I really thank appreciated so the, the questions. <laughs> they were really thank great. You so oh, thank, <laughs> thank you. you. Enjoy the rest of your evening. Thank you, you too. Bye. It was really great meeting you. you Bye. Too.